Now for some pop music. Try this. Yes, let's see. I think I'll turn over to the loudspeaker. River Radio. Hello? This is only a test. This radio station will remain on the air, day and night. Across the Thames Valley. Turn on the radio and let's have some music. Radio. Spread the word. Hello, this is Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and you are listening to The Reset on River Radio. This show is all about nutrition and shaking off those common myths and misconceptions around food. On today's show, I am delighted to be joined by Talia, who is a registered dietitian specialising in supporting people living with eating disorders and disordered eating. Today, we are going to learn a little about Talia and how her journey brought her to where she is today, her expertise in disordered eating, talking about why it is important to ditch diet culture, and we'll finish off by sharing some advice on just how we can do this. If you are looking for specific advice though, please do contact a registered dietitian or other healthcare professional. If you have any questions for us about today's show, you can message us in on our Instagram at River Radio Live or email me directly at amelia at river.radio. Talia, I am so happy to have you joining me today and chat with you all about your area of expertise. But first, how are you? I'm, I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's such a delight to have you. Um, I've wanted to bring you on the show for so long. I've (laughs) loved chatting with you in the past and also following you online and learning about just what you do. Um, So it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. We're going to start today's show as I start all of them. Um, So we're going to give our listeners a couple of you know, factual misstatements, a couple of things to get them thinking throughout the show. And we're going to cover all of these and more throughout the show. And then we'll come back to them at the end and really try to untangle them then. So the first one that we had is calories are not all equal. And then we are so much more than a number on the scales. The third one is food is not either good or bad. We then had you do not need superfoods to Um, You do not need superfoods to diet or supplements to be healthy. Um, And then we've got the final one, which is carbohydrates need to be avoided. Some really big statements there. Like to repeat, not all of them, some are facts, some are myths, and we're going to be addressing them all today. How are you feeling about that? I'm really excited to just delve into that and break it down for our listeners. Absolutely, because they're things that I hear so often being chatted about and I'm really excited, you know, to actually give our listeners some answers to these questions. Um, Absolutely. But I think it's a great place to start off actually chatting about you, Talia. And, you know, can you tell us a bit about yourself and where your interest in dietetics really began? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Talia Chikelli and I'm a registered dietitian. I'm based in London, but I moved over from Australia about four years ago. So my interest in dietetics first came about when I was about 15. So I was one of those people that knew what I wanted to do from a young age. Um, I was really involved in sports and loved cooking. So I started dietetics. Um, went through university and then really got into the area of disordered eating and eating disorders a few 
years after graduating Mm. um, when I started working in a pediatric hospital and one of the wards I was allocated to was an eating disorders adolescent unit and that sparked my interest in the area and I haven't looked back. Um, So now in the last sort of six or seven years, that's been my area of specialty. Um, So working across a range of different hospital settings, community, private practice, Mm. Uh, and now where I work, so I work part-time in a private mental health hospital in London. And then I also run my clinic, which is a private dietetic clinic. We have a team of registered dietitians that all specialize in eating disorders and disordered eating. Mm. And we support people online one-to-one. Yeah. And also through one of our group programs called Rule Breaker, which I'm sure we might talk about um, towards the end of the show. Absolutely we will and I mean that sounds amazing and definitely like a quick summary of your journey I think there's been so many other things that you've done along the way to really get to where you are um, but you know six or seven years experience specializing in this area um, how do you think like your experience of it has evolved or like changed throughout that time you know that's quite a long time and I think, you know, over that time, especially in society, we've become to talk a lot more about mental health. Has that, have you seen that um, affect practice? Yes, definitely affect not only like I think my, how I practice as a dietitian, but also the types of inquiries that are coming mm. through the clinic door. And also just in general, you know, what's happening day to day, discussions amongst friends or clients or mm. news that's in the media. Um, so Eating disorders is something that, you know, it's an area that I didn't learn that much about in university. Mm. Um, I didn't know really what intuitive eating was. I hadn't heard of the term diet culture. Like these are Mm. all things that I've picked up whilst practicing as a registered dietitian. Yeah. Um, So I definitely think that the more I've learned about diet culture, and the more that I work one-to-one with clients and online and the messages I receive, that really does shape sort of the, the path that I take in terms of the area of specialty and the professional development that I engage in and how I talk to clients and how I better support them. Absolutely. Because I feel like there is, there is a shift. I feel like there's more, um, more knowledge now about how harmful diet can be mm. um, that you know, we're all not meant to be in the same body shape or size. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more body diversity, um, people really letting go of diets. And I really do feel that there is a movement in that direction, which is, you know, such a huge relief. Mm-hmm. Completely. And it's so exciting to hear you, you know, seeing that change um, and absolutely mm-hmm. celebrating different people's body sizes. As you say, we're not all meant to be one specific body size no matter what kind of messaging that we've received um but also I liked how you said um how you talk with your clients and I think it's the language that we use not just Mm. you know it's including healthcare professionals talking with patients and clients but also the language that we talk to ourselves with the language that we use for our friends and family or like when we're talking with our friends and family about someone else just being so mindful about what language that we're using because it is so powerful yeah Absolutely. Language is something that I have learned along Mm. the way. Again, it's not something that you're really taught about. It's something that you learn through practice um, and through exposing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my biggest tip for people with that is listen to people who have more experience in this area than you. And also it, 
you know, we all do get it wrong sometimes, but when you mm. get it wrong and someone corrects you, actually thank them. Like, thank you for correcting me. Mm. I, I apologize for getting it wrong and I'm going to learn from this experience. I think that's like the best way that we can react to those situations. Mm. Definitely. And speaking of language, um, we've been using quite a few terms just now, and I think we should go into a couple of them. Um, and it's one of the ones is where you've specialised, which is eating disorders and disordered eating. What is the difference, Talia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we look at the definition of what an eating disorder is, eating disorders have diagnostic criteria. So those diagnostic criteria are in the um, statistical manual for eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And the most common eating disorders that we see when those criteria are broken down, which people may have heard of or mm-hmm. may have not heard of, are anorexia nervosa, yeah. bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. And then we have a category, which is actually the largest, largest category mm-hmm. within the diagnostic criteria, which is other specified feeding and eating disorders. Yeah. And what we have within that category are things like atypical anorexia, purging syndrome, mm. nice eating syndrome. So there's lots of different eating disorders that people actually might not be aware of. I think yeah. as a society, we think that anorexia nervosa is the most common type of eating disorder, mm. but actually it's one of the, the least common, about 9 to 10% of eating disorders fall into that category. Wow. So to be diagnosed with an eating disorder, you have to meet um, those criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is important to, to just say that we talk about eating disorders being trans diagnostic. So it means that someone might experience or meet criteria for anorexia nervosa that might morph into a different type of eating disorder. So it's not like one person has the same eating disorder Mm. throughout their lifetime. They may or may not have different types of eating disorders. Yeah. So we see that eating disorders can really impact someone's physical and mental health quite significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we make a comparison to disordered eating, disordered eating can encompass a whole range of, I guess, thoughts or behaviours around food that don't meet the criteria for an eating disorder mm-hmm. but can still impact someone day to day. So uh, examples of disordered eating might be skipping meals, avoiding certain food groups or types of foods, fasting for long periods of time, mm-hmm. um, going on lengthy detoxes, mm-hmm. um, just having a unhealthy relationship with food as well. So yeah. it's, it's how you view foods. Do you view foods, and we'll bust this later, but do you view foods as being good or bad, mm-hmm. healthy, unhealthy? Is it? Do you follow a very clean eating type of diet are you going vegan or vegetarian not for ethical or sustainability reasons but as a way to restrict your diet so there's Mm. lots of different um sort of aspects of disordered eating and I think it's it's so sad like as you spoke about a lot of those behaviors they actually like you you're speaking about them in terms of a disordered eating behavior that's having a negative impact on like your physical health and your mental health you know we shouldn't feel guilt around Mm. food yet these behaviors kind of uh bring up those feelings yet they're also behaviors that you Mm. see constantly glamorized in the media and like yeah that's what's worrying yeah it's really worrying that a lot of you know many people that I've supported in my clinic don't realize that they 
that the severity of their eating disorder is as bad as what they believe because mm. a lot of these dieting behaviors are normalized in our society and people don't realize that actually these disordered eating habits can actually have a huge impact on both your physical mm -hmm. and mental health without having a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. So it yeah. can be just as dangerous and something that's just as worrying as having an eating disorder. Absolutely. And I think something that people worry about with that you know have it you know why why someone would follow these behaviors generally is because they want to be healthier they want to you know uh live a healthier lifestyle but Talia can we be healthy you know can we nourish ourselves and follow a balanced diet without diet behaviors it's very difficult to to do so I mean of course there is a spectrum so there are going to be some people that might have mild disordered eating that might still be able to nourish their body well depending on the severity of the diet rules or restrictions mm -hmm. that they're following but I would say for the majority of people if you're engaging in any form mm -hmm. of dieting or restriction then you're not going to be able to nourish your body well yeah but it's not just about and that's why I say you know the majority because it's not just about nourishing your body but it's about the impact that it has on your mental health too. Mm -hmm. So even a, a lower form of restriction could still impact yeah. your mental health in terms of um, obsessiveness of, about food, not being able to engage in social eating. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. really I would say... Yeah, that's, it's very, very difficult. Completely. Food brings us so much more than just, you know, it's simplified down to macronutrients, micronutrients, simplified down to, oh, I need this amount of energy for this. And food brings us so much more than just the nutrients that are in it. And, you know, when we're looking at just a single nutrient, you're forgetting that you're eating a whole diet. Um, so absolutely, we can definitely nourish like our bodies and our minds and ditch diet culture at the same time. Um, one question just before we go into um, a, the first song of today's show. Um, you are a registered dietitian, so you can work with eating disorder patients living with eating disorders. Um, but can you just explain, like, you know, uh, how someone would need to come to you who is qualified? Yeah, absolutely. So the, in the UK especially, there's, uh -huh. I think, a lot of confusion yeah. between the terms dietitian or registered dietitian and nutritionist mm -hmm. or registered nutritionist. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately in the UK, the term nutritionist mm -hmm. is not um, something that... I'm forgotten the right <laughs> word. Protected. Protected, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a protected title. Mm. So you could, so like, you, you know, yourself, you've gone to university and you've mm. studied to become a nutritionist. However, there are people that are doing online courses, you know, it could be six weeks, a few months, yeah. that at the end of it, they might call themselves a nutritionist. But mm -hmm. whichever course that they have completed doesn't allow them um, to, you know, register with the Association for Nutrition um, and actually be listed as a registered nutritionist. Yeah. So it's really important to look at the qualifications of people that you are seeking support from. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to eating disorders and disordered eating, it's such a, you know, it's an area where people really do need to have uh, the correct qualifications yeah. and skills to really support people because it's a very, it's a very vulnerable mm. um area and people might have experienced a lot of trauma mm -hmm. um so you really do need to be looking for the correct support yeah 
when it comes to um, eating disorders support, mostly you will find um, nutrition professionals that are registered dietitians. So the difference in between a registered nutritionist and a registered dietitian is that the registered dietitians done further study at university, mostly in. Um, I think we're just having a couple of internet problems. So you would. Um, so Tally's breaking up a bit what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a song really quickly um, and then we're going to come back and we will definitely summarise for everyone what a registered nutritionist and registered dietitian is Across the Thames Valley One more time Across the Thames Valley This This is River Radio Well, now for some pop music Try this Call me up in the middle of the night Stumbling words, you're on my mind Why would you say that? Why would you call me up so late?
listening to Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and we're currently at the reset on River Radio. You can find us across social media platforms at River Radio Live and on the website at river.radio. Today I am joined by Talia who is a registered dietitian and so far we've chatted a little bit about her career so far and introduced her area of specialism which is eating disorders and disordered eating. Now before we went into those last two songs which I should just say uh, we We've just played Send Me On My Way by Guys Meet Girl and Breakfast With You by Shannon James. Um, We were chatting about what a registered dietitian and how that differs from a nutritionist and who you can work with. Um, And I think it cut out a little bit. So Talia, would you mind just summarising for us quickly what you were saying? Yes, of course. So on a very, I guess, simplistic 
um, way. A registered dietitian has had further training um, looking at and supporting people with long-term chronic medical conditions. So you'd usually find a registered dietitian in a hospital um, and a registered nutritionist as the three years of university Mm. um, to still very, very qualified in the area of nutrition. Dietitians usually tack on an extra year, a year and a half as a master's. Um, And then I was saying that the difficulty in the UK is that the title nutritionist isn't protected. So you might find people calling themselves nutritionists, but they haven't done a university qualification. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to summarise it. And definitely like asking people, what are your qualifications? But also, even if someone is qualified, they may not, you know, work for you. They may give different advice to what you're looking for. And that's completely okay to say, actually, do you know what? You're not the right uh, healthcare professional for me right now. I'm going to go have a look for someone else. That's fine too. Absolutely. I say it's sort of like finding the right hairdresser. You know, there's so many dietitians and nutritionists. We all have different personalities and experiences. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to find someone that you can connect with and that you feel will be best able to support you. Fabulous. Thank you, Talia. So I think now we're going to dive into some really important questions uh, regarding the area of diet culture um, and how we can overcome this. So the first one is a big question, Talia, I've got for you, and it's, why do diets not work? I think it's really important to sort of really clarify when we think of dieting, mm-hmm. what that actually means. So diet, you know, the word diet is just, you know, how we eat to support our lifestyle um, mm-hmm. and our health. So when we're thinking about diet, there are medical diets, which are extremely mm-hmm. important for the medical management of some diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're thinking like, the ketogenic diet which is created for epilepsy or someone yes. might have to go on a mm, low potassium diet for kidney disease mm-hmm. and then we have restrictive diets which mean that mm. someone is restricting their energy intake or certain foods usually as a method for weight loss or to change their body mm. shape or size so that's what we'll be talking about today yeah absolutely um, thank you for clarifying that <laughs> that's all right so when we're looking at why diets don't work What we know about dieting is that most people who go on a restrictive diet um, that's not sustainable are going to break that diet. So about 95% of people Mm. won't be able to sustain a restrictive diet long term. Wow. Um, And the reason for this is that when you are following a restrictive diet, what you're doing is you're potentially putting your body into starvation mode so Mm -hmm. starvation mode can occur even after you know four or six hours of not having a proper meal you start to get symptoms of low blood sugar so you might lose concentration get a little bit shaky not be able to concentrate start thinking about food Mm. just on the more extreme end we can tip into from starvation mode into starvation syndrome so it's when the body is switching into survival mode Mm -hmm. it's that fight or flight freeze response and the body hasn't isn't receiving enough nutrition from food, so it's going into that survival mode, which is the famine response. Uh-huh. So how the human species have been able to survive for as long as we have yeah. is because of this mechanism um, in some way or another. Exactly. So why do I... Well, yeah. I, I like to think of it like our bodies are really smart, you know, they're not getting enough fuel, it starts to conserve energy. It's a smart yeah. process, really. But yeah. yeah, let's go. Let's go more into it. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. 
No, no, no. I think that's, yeah, it's an absolutely, it's a really good point because our bodies are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we give our bodies as much credit as they, as they deserve. So when our body doesn't receive enough energy from the food we eat, as you mentioned, it starts to shut down and that's starvation syndrome. So your metabolism starts to slow down. So your metabolism is the whole array of chemical processes that occur in our body mm-hmm. and your metabolic rate is the amount of um, energy that's needed to keep your metabolism up and running. Mm-hmm. It's like your metabolism is a fire and your metabolic rate is how much wood we're putting on that fire. Yeah. So when people are following a restrictive diet, some of those body systems start to shut down. Um, so people might start to experience digestive issues, low energy, poor concentration. Um, mm-hmm. On a more extreme end, they might experience um, sort of nutritional deficiencies, which might mean that their hair becomes brittle or falls out. Um, but ultimately what the psychological impact that a lot of people experience mm-hmm. is overthinking and obsessing about food so thinking about food all the time dreaming Mm. about food planning meals spending you know hours in the supermarket or planning out what they're going to eat because if the diet or restricted diet or program that they followed have said they're only allowed to eat say a common one is you know 1200 or 1500 calories then they're going to try and make that 1200 or 1500 calories the best 1200 or 1500 calories they can Mm. but it still means that they're going to be missing out because following a low level of energy means that you're not able to to fully engage fully have the foods that you want to so what we see is that we we see a common diet cycle so people go on a diet we see that short term they might receive the results that they are desiring whether Mm -hmm. that be weight loss now it's really important too that Often when we're going on restricted diet, what the body does is that it starts to use our glycogen stores. Mm -hmm. So glycogen is a storage form of carbohydrate. And when glycogen is stored in our muscles and in our liver, it's a very heavy molecule because Mm -hmm. it attaches to water molecules. So it triples or quadruples its weight. So when people go on restrictive diets and after a few days of having less energy, less carbohydrates, they step on the scale Mm. there can actually be quite a significant change in that number even up to two or three kilos because what they've lost is the glycogen and the water so it's that water weight the body's more dehydrated similarly when people break a diet and they start eating more carbohydrates more food again you can see that change on the scale increase in two or three kilos even you know a day or two after stopping a diet a lot of people misinterpret that change in the scale as fat loss or fat gain Mm. but it's not it's not true you can't lose fat or regain fat within a matter of days yeah um so what we see is that short-term um success but then Mm. it becomes really difficult for the majority of people to be able to sustain that level of restriction and then people start to think about food a bit more attempt it a bit more might develop cravings and then we see people break rules, overeat, binge eat, go back yeah. to a different way of eating, experience a lot of guilt or shame or failure mm-hmm. for that, and then start a diet again. So we see people trapped in this diet cycle, yeah. years of yo-yo dieting. You know, I've worked with people that have been stuck in this cycle for decades, and that can have a huge impact on your mental health when you're feeling like, why yeah. am I failing? Why is my body 
built differently to other people absolutely and I think that's the key thing there that your body is built differently to other other people so like we all have different set points and if you are trying to uh, restrict your diet so much that you're you're eating below your your natural weight set point naturally when like when you get hungry and then you you know feel those needs which is completely normal to do but then you'll go back up to that set point or you know um I feel like you might explain this a little bit better than me in terms of like the eating disorders and the diet dieting cycle um with like the changes in your metabolism that you might also experience yeah absolutely so what I mentioned earlier is that when we when someone goes on a restricted diet and they start to eat less energy than what their body needs the body starts to shut down it's like a battery it's depleting that battery power and it gets its energy from our body so it starts to break down not only fat stores but where it's an area of concern is our mm. muscle as well yeah um so this can have a huge impact on our uh, metabolism and metabolic rate mm-hmm. so it's estimated that people who follow restricted diets can reduce their metabolic rate by up to 30 to 50%. So it just shows how much the body is trying to conserve energy. So really the main purpose of the body shutting down some of those body systems is Mm -hmm. to conserve energy. So it turns off those non-essential systems. And that's why Mm. people might start to, for example, lose their hair. You you can live without hair. They might, if they're female, their their periods might stop because it's seen as a non-essential function for staying alive. You might have people start to um, lose bone density, which Mm -hmm. can cause long-term damage, slowing down digestion, conserving energy. The body's going to conserve energy wherever it can. Um, And these are all such like important, like, I guess, signs and symptoms to be aware of. But on like a more like optimistic note, how can we break this dieting cycle? Yeah, what I tend to see is what, you know, and what I explain to my clients is that if we actually draw that diet cycle, mm. where do we see the point within that cycle as being the point that the cycle continues to go round and round? Yeah. So where, where, where we break that chain ultimately is the diet rules. Mm-hmm. So by breaking the cycle, what we need to do is focus on breaking and overcoming any diet rules Mm. um, or fears around food if there's no rules to follow then there's there's no diet cycle to break amazing and I guess those diet rules could be ones that have been told to you you know like the restriction the restrictive ones it could be like around certain times around eating it could be having a very all or nothing thoughts around certain foods having foods on your red list and never ever having them you know it's going to look different for everyone and I guess overcoming it would uh I'm asking you is it dependent on how long you've been following these rules like how ingrained they are in your lifestyle and things like that it can be I think what it comes down to as well is someone being able to trust the process and trust that there is another way of eating because I've seen people that you know supported people that have for example um have binge eating disorder for decades started to receive help really given it a go gone all in and been able to change their eating and their relationship with food in a matter of three to six months wow. whereas other people that i've supported their their beliefs are more ingrained and it's more difficult to challenge in which case we see uh-huh. that some people may need support for you know several years to 
help to overcome those diet rules. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing us, that with us. And I think your phrase that you just used there, which was, there is another way of eating. I really like that. Like when we're talking today about ditching diet culture and, you know, it, uh, trying to get rid of these restrictive diets and things like that. I really like how you phrase that there is another way of eating. It kind of gives people mm. hope rather than, you know, negative feelings. Yeah. And I try to remind my, my clients too, is that you weren't born hating your body you weren't born knowing mm-hmm. what a calorie was mm-hmm. you weren't born thinking that cake was a treat food these are yeah. all learned behaviors and learned experiences mm-hmm. so if we are learning something about nutrition we can unlearn that information and create new beliefs and new knowledge about foods or ways of eating absolutely thank you for sharing that with us i think that's a great point to go into another song so we're now going to play beautiful by amory across the thames valley one more time across the thames valley this this is river radio well now for some everybody's got something to say but that's just who we are my new clothes don't fit anymore now me and the mirror still continue to fall out i don't like this stranger's
I really enjoy that song. I think it's got such a lovely little message behind it. Um, you are listening to Amelia Fisher, registered associate nutritionist on the reset on River Radio. You can find us across all social media platforms, um, including Instagram at River Radio Live. Um, and today I am joined by Talia Tukeli, who is a registered dietitian. If you have missed today's show so far and would like to catch up, um, when we've been chatting all about Talia's area of expertise, which is eating disorders and disordered eating. Do not worry, as this show will be released shortly after the live show as a podcast and can be found on all your main podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And do remember, if you have any questions for us about today's show, you can message us in on Instagram um, or email me directly at amelia at river.radio. We are now on to that part of today's show uh, where we're going to be sharing some words of advice for our listeners about ditching diet culture. But please do remember that this is generic advice that if you are looking for something specific to you, do contact a registered dietitian or other healthcare professional. So Talia, it's the big question. How, how, how can we start ditching diet culture? That is a very big question. Yeah. And I think really the starting point is to look internal, so look inside, really take some time to think about your own diet your own relationship with food and your body Mm -hmm. and how that might be being influenced by diet culture so by the media by conversations friends and family have you changed the way that you're eating or developed any certain rules um that are different to maybe many years ago and often Mm. it's hard to because as we spoke about earlier a lot of food behaviors now have become normalized in our society and I find that too, you know, comments like, oh, but my friends eat like that or my family eats like this, which is, you know, fair enough, but it doesn't mean that you have to eat like that as well. So it's yeah. about recreating your own way of eating. Oh, so, I yeah, like I think that. looking in. <laughs> yeah, recreating looking in. your own way of eating. Um, and I guess on that, you've kind of made me think about something that we've spoken about energy a little bit to, Um, around today's show um, and restrictive dieting Um, and I know a a lot of these involve looking specifically at calories and Mm. lately we've seen that calories have been added to menus so how what advice would you give to people if this is something that's causing them a lot of stress yeah this has caused a lot of stress for many people that I support and Mm -hmm. it's really it's so unfortunate that the UK has gone down this track Mm. um So if you are someone that is being influenced by calories on menus and you don't have to have an eating disorder or disordered eating, you know, even myself now, I'm like, what is Mm. happening? Um, Not that it's, you know, changing my decision, but it's definitely making me stop. Mm -hmm. And it's that stopping that, um, yeah, that can absolutely trigger someone who has a poor relationship with food um, to potentially maybe do something that they don't want. So if you're someone that this is influencing, what I would suggest, there's a couple of things that you can do. Um, one is that if you are going out for a meal, you can ask if there is a menu without calories. So mm-hmm. a lot of restaurants do also have that. Um, that would be probably the easiest step. Um, number two would be if you you know, are familiar with a restaurant or type of cuisine, to really think about what do I really feel like today before mm-hmm. going into the restaurant. And yeah. if you're eating with someone that 
knows that that might be a struggle for you to communicate that choice to them. Um, some people might even allow others to do something off the menu for them. Um, what I recommend some of my clients do in the initial stages is actually to, to have someone print off the menu online, black out the calories, and then before going into a restaurant um, or cafe to have a look at what you want without the calories there influencing your decision. Great advice. Um, and sometimes it is about, you know, actually facing those numbers mm. in the restaurant or cafe and doing the op- opposite of what that diet culture part of you actually wants to do. Yeah. So if it's saying to choose, you know, the lower calorie muffin, for example, purposefully challenge that thought and have something that's higher calorie. Absolutely. I don't think- I don't think these calories are going anywhere. So it is actually a really important skill for people to develop to be able to still choose what they want yeah. with the calories. Completely. And I think you've just given so many really great words of advice and of where people can start with that. Um, and especially with that last one, I think that you were saying really challenge them, which kind of brings us on a little bit to something that you've been doing. I mean, I've seen it across Instagram and your newsletter, which is your rule breaker challenge. Yeah. <laughs> So Rule Breaker was a challenge that I developed um, really at the beginning of 2020 when we were going into lockdown. Um, So Rule Breaker has morphed into an online program, so a six-week group program. Mm. That's main goal really is to support people to overcome diet rules, to break down diet rules and fear foods Mm. um, in a supportive environment. So what it involves is a group getting together, having meal support. So when I say that, I mean, we're getting onto a Zoom session, we're eating the same meal together and we're able to, you know, chat about any fears related to that food, bust any myths and really support each other through those challenging meals. Um, So it's on pause at the moment while I make it bigger and better. But the feedback that I've received from it is that really it's a community. It's knowing that there's other people that are also struggling with food. I think often with disordered eating and eating disorders people Mm. feel like they're the only one that's experiencing those difficulties yeah and I think that's an amazing thing that you're doing and as you say um raising awareness that it's not just you feeling like like obviously that your experience will be very unique to you but other Mm. people also have you know similar fears around foods and it's something that we actually don't chat about you know if you sit down for a meal you would never say, like, you would never share, like, oh, I've had a fear around this food. But maybe if we talk about it more as you're getting people chatting more, it makes it, like, less of a fear because you're able to talk openly with others about it. Yeah. And you're yeah, maybe absolutely. taking the control back a bit from that fear. Yeah. Yeah. It's very validating to know that yeah. the feelings and experiences are valid. Mm-hmm. And as you said, the more that we, I think often people hold it in and it just sort of creates more and more anxiety and fear about certain foods. Mm. So being able to talk about it and normalize it and then take the small steps to overcome it is really important. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Talia. Um, And I know like we chatted a little bit vaguely before we came on here about a few points that we wanted to talk about today. Um, And I guess maybe this is a question that you get quite a lot, um, which is, what is a healthy weight? Mm. Yeah, I do. I do get that not only from people in recovery, um, but also outside of that. Yeah. It's a really difficult one. And this is where I feel like there is a shift 
in mm. like when we're talking about diet culture shifting mm-hmm. i think this is one area that it is happening so you know when i was at uni i was taught about bmi and very mm. strict BMI parameters um 18 and a half to 25 is a healthy weight anyone over that you know i was trained to give people weight loss advice wow. which is absolutely not how i practice now because Nice. Times are changing and research is changing and we're developing new sets of skills as health professionals. Yes. So when we look at what a healthy weight is, unfortunately, the NHS is a bit outdated mm. in that it still lifts the BMI criteria as 18 and a half to 25 as being a healthy weight, which can be really limiting to people, especially who have a disordered relationship with food or are trying to recover from an eating disorder because eating disorder mindset latches onto that lower end of that BMI scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the majority of people, maintaining a weight at that low BMI means that you're going to have to engage in some form of disordered eating yeah. or disordered relationship in terms of physical activity. So what a healthy weight is, you know, generally when we're thinking about as a clinician working in this space, we're looking at a minimum and I want to emphasize minimum mm-hmm. of BMI-20 for most people. And then we now know, you know, we support that people can be a healthy weight above yeah. that 25 BMI that is listed on the NHS. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's research that supports that people that are above a BMI of 25 um, actually have less comorbidities than people that are within yeah. the healthy range. and it's it's not just you know simplifying it down to your body size or your body weight there's so many other factors around nutrition and lifestyle and well-being you know our sweet sleep quality the amount that we move are we enjoying that movement are we stressed by that movement like so many other factors other than just simplifying it down to you know a number on the scales yeah absolutely a number on a scale which is just a machine we can't let Mm -hmm a machine determine how happy we are, how healthy we are. So what a healthy weight is for you is the weight that supports your health in the best way possible. And as you said, there's so many aspects of health. It's our physical health, our mental health, Mm -hmm. our emotional, our spiritual well-being. There's so many things that we have to factor in. It's never just going to be a number Mm -hmm. and BMI should never be used you know, solely as a uh, for an individual anyway it was yes. traded back in the early 1900s mm-hmm. um, it's a very uh, simplified equation it doesn't take into account gender or age or body composition or mm-hmm. genetics um, which we all know is super important um, so yeah so I think we need to shift our focus from looking at those numbers weight mm-hmm. or BMI and really looking at someone as a person I love so that. Looking at, <laughs> yeah, looking at looking someone at as a person and their whole lifestyle, you know, not just simplifying it down to one meal that they've had on one day, actually yeah. looking at over a week, over a month, how are you yeah. doing? Are you enjoying doing this? And if you're not, yeah. trying to switch it up, bringing all the positive vibes in, I like to think of it as. Yeah, we don't absolutely. want negativity. <laughs> no negativity. Yeah, Talia, it's been amazing to chat with you about all of this advice today. And I would like to say again, if you um, are thinking about this advice and you'd like to gain more advice, please do speak with your registered dietitian for you know specific and personalised advice there. Um, but we're coming to the end of the show, and I'd quite like to you know summarise a bit um, that we've spoken about about 
ditching diet culture but also how we can use food in a positive way to really nourish both our physical and mental health so if you could summarize a little bit of that for us today that'd be amazing yeah so I think the first thing that I want to say is that having a healthy relationship with food is more important than any way of eating so you can eat all the salad in the world but if you don't have a healthy relationship with food I think that that's more detrimental to both your physical health and mental health. So I think it's really important to step away from looking at food and nutrition so black and white. So I like to say that nutrition is 1,000 shades of grey. It's forever changing and we really need to individualise nutritional advice. Mm -hmm. So stepping away from that black and white thinking of the good or bad approach to foods and really learning to get creative in the kitchen, really learn to enjoy the food that you're cooking. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know how to make food taste good and flavorful. Mm. Um, And that's the best way to find that balance when we're looking at including all the core food groups. So having those foods that really nourish our body, but also having those foods that nourish our soul, being able to eat with others and engage in social eating. Amazing. Thank you, Talia. And we are going to come back to those points that we said at the beginning. And I do think we've covered a lot of them. But I think, you know, let's definitely answer them for our listeners today. You know, say if they're facts or myths and maybe a little line about what your thoughts. So are you ready for them? Amazing. The first one we said was that calories are not all equal. Yeah. So this is true. So calories are going to be... (laughs) Calories are going to be uh, different. So calorie is just a measurement. So it's just like a centimetre or a metre. It's just a unit of measurement. Um, The calories that we get from food um, are going to be absorbed and digested differently based on us as an individual Mm -hmm. um, and also how the food is formed. So if we take, for example, corn on a cob versus cornmeal or almonds and ground almonds, Mm. Um, the body is going to break down and digest those separately. So the calories in those foods are not going to be equal. If we take 100 calories of broccoli and 100 calories Mm -hmm. of chocolate, we just can't compare them because they have totally different nutrient profiles. Exactly. We are food is much more than calories it's got so much more nutrition in it but also what it's providing us and like food for our soul too. The next one was we are so much more than a number on the scales. Yes I think we touched on this (laughs) there is no machine or mm-hmm. you know instrument in the world with a number on it that can determine our self-worth, our happiness, or our health. Absolutely. The third one was food is not either good or bad. Yes. So this is a tricky one. I think a lot of people then sort of um, question the concept of, well, foods are going to be healthier or unhealthier. Mm-hmm. And I totally get and I get that, of course, there are going to be foods that are higher in terms of vitamins or minerals or nutrient sort of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are foods that might not give us zinc or iron, but they might give us energy mm. or they might make us feel good. So I try to look at foods as being neutral. Yeah. So looking at foods, you know, neutral foods, um, not trying to categorize them, but mm-hmm. rather eating based on what makes you feel really good. People often like when that. they're going through recovery and overcoming food rules is that they say well i'm really scared talia because i'm fearful that i'm just going to want to eat foods that are high in sugar or fat all the time Mm -hmm. and i say you know i do this little exercise and they get them to actually imagine eating those foods three to six times a day Mm -hmm. and 
you know, you can, you know that those foods are not going to make yeah. you feel good. So it's really important to neutralize foods and, and choose foods that are going to give you the energy um, and really fuel your body. Definitely. And the fourth one was you do not need superfoods to diet or supplements to be healthy. Yes, this is correct. This is a fact. So I think that all foods are pretty super. There are, of course, some foods that are going to give you more of a certain type of antioxidant or vitamin or mineral than others. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's really important is having a variety of foods. And that has come around in so much research is that variety is so important. Um, and same as the supplements. So if we have a well-balanced, good quality diet, um, food can give us the majority of the nutrients that we need. I would say the main one really is vitamin D, which um, (laughs) we get mostly from the sun. So there are some supplements that we need to be healthy, but in terms of general food intake, um, you can get it from food. Yeah, I guess you can caveat it, can't you? If like you have a certain medical condition, your doctor may need to prescribe you something. Or if you're following a diet for, you know, ethical reasons, there may be certain individual needs. But on a general level, we don't need these things to be healthy. We can be healthy just following a food first approach. Absolutely. And the final one was carbohydrates need to be avoided. Yeah, (laughs) So this is a false, this uh-huh. is fiction. Absolutely. Um, so there are, you know, carbohydrates are so demonized um, in our society and there's definitely been periods through the decades that it's been fats, it's been carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different quality carbohydrates. So what I say mm-hmm. to people on a whole is looking at the quality of the carbohydrate, yeah. the carbohydrate foods that you want to include mostly in your diet. So those whole grains um, and starchy carbs like potato, corn, squash, mm-hmm. um, having those more often than processed um, carbohydrates or ultra-processed yeah. foods, which still contain carbohydrates, but they're usually a mix of um, different foods. Like, for example, you know, chocolate, yes, contains sugar, but it also contains uh, fat. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. It's uh, the quality as well that we're we're needing to consider there and how nourishing they're going to be for our health. Well, that brings us to the end, though, of today's episode. And I I feel like I've learned so much. I always love chatting with you about this area. Um, And I can't quite believe, you know, that hour's gone so quickly. Thank you, Talia. Thank you for joining me. Um, And you can find Talia on www.taliachikeli.com or on her Instagram at TC Nutrition. Definitely go follow. Um, Also, you can subscribe to your newsletter, which I am, and I think it's great. There's loads of tips and yummy recipes that you share too. Um, thank you so much for having me today oh of course thank you talia for coming on today you have been listening to river radio if you have missed any of today's show and would like to listen again you can find the reset um, on the website at river.radio or on most podcast platforms i'll be back the same time next week with another show but until then keep on listening to river radio and up next you have stage door across the thames valley one